Some coworkers and supervisors are simply terrible. They're abusive, they're insulting, they're incompetent. Other coworkers and supervisors want to be helpful, but end up being just as harmful as the abusive people because, well, their help isn't actually all that helpful. Cheryl Gray is a doctoral candidate in industrial and organizational psychology at the University of South Florida, who specializes in employee health and well-being. In particular, Cheryl studies unhelpful help, which refers to those times when a supervisor or coworker does something that others perceive as being intended as helpful, but actually is unhelpful or even harmful. In this episode, Cheryl joined us to discuss unhelpful help, what it is, why it matters, and what we can do about it. Join us for this fascinating conversation with Cheryl Gray. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Well, Cheryl, welcome to the Indigo Podcast. Yes! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, this is awesome. So we're really excited to talk with you about unhelpful help. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, when I first heard this term, unhelpful help, my mind was just awash with shenanigans of (laughs) all the kinds of, hey, look, man, your help's really, don't help me. Gosh. (laughs) <laughs> and so, so we're going to explore unhelpful help, which is, did you invent that term, Cheryl? Um, yes, we published the definition of unhelpful support. We called it unhelpful workplace social support or unhelpful help. Awesome. Sweet. So yeah. anyway, we're going to talk about what is unhelpful help and why does it matter? We're going to talk about cutting edge emerging research on unhelpful help led by one Cheryl Gray here on the episode <laughs> and implications for people leaders and organizations. That's right. So I think maybe we just start off with that first piece and discuss what unhelpful help is and why it matters. But, you know, first off, I I think it'd be fun to, you know, discuss a little bit, Cheryl, how did you get into this area? Um, How did this all evolve for you as a researcher? Yeah, so it actually all started when I was behind on a master's thesis. So in my doctoral program, we're required to do some sort of big research project, which we call a master's thesis, to earn our master's degree. And the first step is to come up with a topic that you're really passionate about. And it was taking me quite some time to find that topic that really spoke to me. And one day I was sitting in my lab and a colleague walked in who was an awesome, super supportive colleague. And she says, hey, Cheryl, how are you? And I was honest. And I said, you know, I'm feeling a little discouraged today, feeling down on myself because I'm behind on my master's thesis. And she says, Cheryl, I know you. You are so bright, so hardworking. I'm sure you're just being hard on yourself. How much have you gotten done? How many pages of your proposal do you have written? And I paused and I said, well, none. And she tried to recuperate the conversation. She says, oh, don't worry if anyone could come back from that. It's you, yada, yada, yada. But we both knew that in that moment, she just made me feel a lot worse rather than a lot better. And long story short, I ended up doing my master's thesis on unhelpful help. Yeah. So that was unhelpful help in that That moment. That ended up being helpful, but was... Ah, <laughs> annoying at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and that's actually one type 
of unhelpful help. And we'll talk about those different types a little bit later. Um, and it's really interesting. So you publish an article in uh, Work and Stress, which is an academic journal and uh, where you studied this topic. And uh, one thing that you you know, wrote about early in the article, and I think is interesting to note is, you know, obviously stress is a big problem, right? We don't want people to be all stressed out. It can, um, I mean, there are good types of stress, right? But in, there are also a lot of negative uh, outcomes to stress at work. And a lot of the research or a lot of the thinking around this is, hey, like we need to um, reduce stress. And one way to do that is through social support. We need to uh, be helping each other and offering assistance and listening to each other vent and all of these types of things. And it generally just kind of assumes that social support is this great thing, right? Um, and, and it is good, um, but it, it kind of has, um, you know, potentially a downside, right? Yeah, absolutely. So exactly as you're saying, everyone wants a solution to stress. And Social support seems to be a great one in general. So there's a whole body of literature that tells us that in general, receiving social support at work is associated with less outcomes associated with stress. So less negative affect. These are negative feelings one might have about their job, things like anxiety, frustration, depression. And they tend to have fewer physical symptoms like headaches, nausea, and fatigue when they get support at work. Um, just a whole host of things that we want to mitigate at work. But on the same time, we actually see that there's a lot of research that finds kind of the opposite, which shows that in some cases, instead of alleviating stress outcomes when you encounter a stressful situation at work, it seems to actually exacerbate um, the negative outcomes, which has been this interesting finding in the literature for a long time. And people have proposed different explanations for why that might be. But one that hasn't gotten much attention is this idea of unhelpful help, that maybe <laughs> the support people are getting really just isn't very helpful. Yeah, yeah. And so kind of going back to your example that you shared earlier, you know, you're, you're, you were all stressed out about um, being behind on, on your master's thesis. And, um, you know, this faculty members is trying to be helpful. You know, the intentions were probably good, but um, basically said, oh, you're, you're smart. If anybody can do this, it's you. And you're just like, oh, that, that's, I, I get what you're trying to do here, but it's not helping me, right? It actually makes me feel a little bit worse. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is not exactly the same, but it's almost like mandatory family fun time. <laughs> hey, it's time to go see Aunt Bertha. Well, Aunt Bertha smells funny and she hugs me awkwardly, you know, and, and, and but she, it's too bad. You're getting your rear end in that minivan and you're going, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess that's something like this. But... I mean, it's supposed to be good. Family time. Right. Good. Aunt Bertha. Sorry. Try yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have this thing, this, you know, workplace social support, lots of benefits to it. Like, as you mentioned, you know, we have um, fewer physical manifestations of, of stress. We have um, lower, you know, anxiety, frustration, depression, those types of things associated with, with good social support at work. Um, but this un idea of unhelpful help or unhelpful workplace social support is this idea that, you know, kind of evolved from your experiences and from other p places in the literature. And you really started to expand upon and define, you know, so a big thing that we do in the social sciences is we figure, you know, it's like, hey, there's this new thing 
We got to figure out if it actually is a new thing. We got to figure out how we're going to measure it. And so that's kind of what you did in the article that you published in Work and Stress, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So how do you define this idea of unhelpful workplace social support? So it's what you would expect, right? We define unhelpful workplace social support as any action taken by a supervisor or a colleague at work that the recipient believes was intended to benefit them, but is actually perceived as unhelpful or harmful. And this can be any type of support. So it could be something like instrumental support where a supervisor or colleague is trying to step in to help complete a task maybe provide resources, could also be emotional support where they're just trying to comfort you. Um, Any of those could fall under the category of unhelpful workplace social support if they're well-intended but perceived negatively. Yeah, no, I think that that's a good point because a lot of times when we talk about social support, we talk about those two categories of emotional support and instrumental support. So instrumental is actually helping somebody, giving them some, in terms of like a resource, right? Um, Uh, removing some obstacles that are in your way or things like that. But both of those could have this unhelpful aspect to it. So tell us a little bit about this study. You know, it was um, a lot of things that I liked about this study. One being that, you know, this is kind of a new area. um, Didn't really know exactly how things were going to going to you know, pan out. So you started with this qualitative piece where you, um, you know, looked at a whole bunch of different incidents where people had these types of experiences and try to analyze them. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I would love to. So exactly as you're saying, there wasn't a ton out there on this topic. So we started off by doing what we call an exploratory study, where we asked about 115 employees to just tell us about a time in which they received help at work that was well-intended, but ended up being unhelpful or harmful. So they gave us their responses through an online survey, and we got a lot of interesting stories through that. And my colleagues and I went ahead and did a really thorough, rigorous content analysis to identify what are the different types of unhelpful support that these people are reporting through these incidents. So we were able to come up with a number of different types of unhelpful support in that first study. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think what was interesting is, you know, you you came with all these different, so it's basically, you know, people rigorously analyzing a bunch of different stories and categorizing these different types. I think you came up with like maybe 11 in that first piece. And then, and then what you did, right. Then you said, okay, well, here's kind of the initial exploratory piece. Let's validate that. Let's look at kind of how that pans out with other samples of people using some, um, you know, more quantitative type of approach. And you kind of boiled it down. And then you also wanted to look and see if this actually mattered, right? So um, how did that that turn out? Because you, you, I think you, you kind of combined some categories or you kind of came down to, um, you know, a certain number of types of unhelpful workplace social support. Uh, and then you looked at some of the outcomes of it, right? Yeah, exactly. So we ended up collecting data from um, 700 or so more employees 200 of them were from a diverse population, and then 500 were nurses. And using their data, we were able to, like you said, really boil it down into seven types of support that really seemed to stick. And they were associated with important things. So it turned out in you know, the first study, we see, okay, people do report experiences getting unhelpful support but does it really matter wasn't really answered with study one. So what we found with this next piece was that getting unhelpful support on a regular frequent basis was associated with 
really not great things like job related negative affect. So again, these negative feelings that you might have about your work. So it could be things like anxiety, depressive symptoms, and they also reported more physical symptoms. Hmm. So more headaches, nausea, and fatigue, those who received this on a frequent basis at work, more burnout. So they were exhausted at work. Um, frustration with their jobs. And then one that was interesting too was this competence-based self-esteem. So they seem to be less, they feel less competent at their jobs and they're not as confident um, in their own abilities, which was interesting. Wow. So those are some some fairly negative outcomes of, yes. of unhelpful workplace social support. And you know, one thing that really um, I found compelling when we were talking about this and in reading your research is you know, that, that a lot of these outcomes are similar to those outcomes of abusive supervision. Yes. <laughs> Which... I mean, so it's like these people are trying to help, but they're actually causing the same types of outcomes that they would have if they were being an abusive supervisor. I think that's that's really interesting and should should make those managers and supervisors, executives and so forth who are listening kind of sit up and take notice here. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we thought that was a really compelling finding because when we think about people doing wrong in organizations, particularly on the leadership side, there's a whole literature on the dark side of leadership. But it's all about these leaders with malintentions, right? Those who maybe yell at their employees, maybe they tell them they're stupid, just abusive behaviors. And the fact that we're seeing some of the same outcomes with well-intended leaders um, is pretty compelling. Yeah, so it's not enough that you avoid being an intentionally bad boss. You have to avoid being an unintentionally bad boss too through this other type of uh, of um, workplace social support. So that's really interesting. But bosses are terrified of this all the time. Am I out of touch? You know, I I have people that I coach. You know, you know, I just did this you know announcement and people just looked at me. I and I really want to be helpful, but like to your point. You're, they're literally giving their staff headaches with some of these different types of social support. So let's let's talk through these seven that you have distilled now after two studies that that kind of these are the food groups of unhelpful help, right? Exactly. Okay, so let's let's talk about um, the first one, uh, critical. What what is that? Yeah. So critical support is when a supervisor or colleague is trying to be helpful by providing advice or suggestions, but they end up coming across as insulting or critical. And this is something that I find myself giving, unfortunately, and something that I work on all the time. So for me, I'm often helping new researchers to try to become better researchers. And something that will happen frequently is that a student will send me a research proposal, and I will want to be so helpful, right? I'll want to give them every possible piece of suggestion or advice that I can, but what they see is a sea of red ink, which yeah. can be really discouraging. So that would be one example of critical support. I know you've done um, podcasts on performance reviews, and that's mm -hmm. where this happens a lot, is that you're trying to help someone to become a better performer, um, but now they feel criticized and attacked and maybe it actually doesn't help their performance at all. It might do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, a really important one. Um, you know, uh, it, it can kind of make people uh, more defensive, right. And, and feel insulted. So you're trying to be helpful. You're providing all of this feedback. And it was, what's crazy is that, you know, 
for you, um, in, in your example, that takes a lot of time, right? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're putting a lot of time and effort. You have all these good intentions, but it, it certainly um, could be something that backfires a little bit. So the next, so that's critical um, types. Of, that's one type of unhelpful social support. Um, the next one that you you found is is imposing support. So tell us a little bit about imposing support. Yeah. So imposing support is not new. There are studies of imposing support. Imposing support is basically just on unwanted help that feels forced on you. So if there's forced family fun time, as you talked about, Chris, that could be imposing support. So you don't want it and it's forced on you. And there was a really cool study um, that was done by Dielstra and colleagues back in 2003. They invited about 50 administrative workers to come and work on an administrative task. But instead of completing the task normally, about a fraction of the participants had received imposing support while completing their task. So they're over here trying to do their administrative task as usual. And then someone comes over and says, oh, let me help you with this. (laughs) And they kind of force their help on this administrative worker. And what those researchers showed in this experimental study was that receiving this imposing support was associated with things like higher heart rate um, and negative affect, lower self-esteem. So the imposing support, there is a a body of literature on that. And that one is not so great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Right. So then the next one's undependable support. Uh, Give us some examples. What is that? Yeah. So that's when someone provides basically just low quality assistance. So maybe they're unreliable with providing support. Maybe they're delayed. There was a really interesting example in that qualitative study I talked about where a restaurant server um, was feeling overwhelmed. They had too many tables and a coworker stepped in to help them. So they actually took over one of their tables, but they did it terribly. So they didn't introduce themselves. They didn't wear a name tag like they were supposed to. They didn't go over the specials for the day. And it turned out that that table was full of secret shoppers. These are people who evaluate the quality of service. (laughs) Yes. And the employee ended up failing the shop because someone stepped in to help and did it very poorly. Wow. Yeah. So I guess a tip there, and we'll get into some more practical implications later, but you know, if you're going to provide support, you know, at, at least you need to be competent in what you're doing, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's undependable support. And then you talk about this one that's short-sighted support. What's that all about? So short-sighted is when you take over a task without teaching or training. So mm. in kind of like the easy way out sometimes as a supervisor. It's just easier to do it yourself if you know how to do it rather than taking the time to train someone else. So I encounter this all the time. If I'm doing a research project, I have research assistants helping me and I come across maybe some difficult or higher level psychometric um, tool or some statistics that I want to do. It's just easier to do it myself than to teach it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that can be difficult. Yeah. And I see this all the time with with managers and executives even who, you know, have a specific area of expertise of their own um, and they they haven't really let go of it. And then they wonder why they're doing all the work, (laughs) but it's because they haven't let go and they haven't trained other people. And it does take some time to get other people up to speed on something. Uh, It is easier and faster sometimes to do it yourself. But taking that investment and uh, actually training instead of just doing it yourself can yield some good outcomes in the future. 
Yeah, the, the guys that do this, it you know, they re, why don't I have any competent people around here? Well, anybody who's competent is not going to put up with that kind of management. They're out the door. <laughs> so you've self-selected numbskulls for yourself just by being short-sighted and and how you manage people. It, <laughs> get out of here. All right. what What's the next one? It's uh, conflicting. All yeah. right. Tell us about this type of unhelpful help. So conflicting support is when someone provides contradictory advice or instructions. This can conflict with previous advice or instructions that they've given, or it might conflict with advice or instructions that have come from someone else. So some of the craziest examples are when someone at work provides um, some sort of advice that conflicts with company policy. So maybe there was one example where someone was really anxious about leaving a sick pet at home and the supervisor was like, oh, you know what? If you're gonna be worried about it, just bring your pet to work. But that violated company policy. So they ended up getting in a ton of trouble. Mm. So conflicting, again, it can be conflicting with your own advice, with company policy or with others at work. Yeah. So that's another one to avoid. Uh, the next one that you you found in your work is partial uh, support. So what's that? Partial is just unclear advice. So it's advice that leaves you with more questions than answers, right? <laughs> Maybe you feel even more confused after getting this advice than you did before. <laughs> yeah. And so the hey, last hey one, Ben, uh, here's, some, here's some advice. Be better. Yeah. Have you ever gotten those where it's just like, hey, why don't you stink less at what you do? Yeah. Oh, no, well, thank, I, thanks now. I can or, really. <laughs> or just kind of a general, like, fix this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I use, I've used that as a joke with people I've, I've been working with. It's like, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Just do it better, right? Yeah, you know, just as a joke. But that, that it certainly is partial um, support. The last one that you, you mentioned is uncomforting. And it's, I, I think this is kind of what you had received in your example, right? Exactly. Yeah. So this is basically emotional support gone wrong. So when's trying, someone's trying to support you emotionally, um, but it ends up making the person either not feel better or even feel worse. So we typically, we see this with invalidating or minimizing statements. So things like, well, it could have been worse or look on the bright side. So you're kind of downplaying their experience, yeah. which can be really off-putting. So when, um, and the example I started with, when my colleague was telling me, oh, well, you're so smart. I'm sure it's not as bad as you think. That's almost downplaying the experience that I'm trying to express. Right, right. So you shouldn't be feeling that way, right? Exactly. Um, gotcha. So these are the different types of unhelpful social support. Um, now let's kind of move into talking about maybe some of the cutting edge research that's going on um, in this area and uh, some of the other directions that you see this going. And then we'll We'll certainly bring it around to some practical implications after that. So um, where do you see this research going? What's some exciting stuff that's happening to learn more about this new and emerging topic? Yeah, so something that we're in the process of doing now that I'm really excited about is digging more into that leadership piece. So in the first study we talked about, we were looking at support from various people at work, but it ended up being mostly coworkers. So now we're looking specifically at the leadership side. And we found some really interesting things so far. Um, so what we've looked at is employees who report that their leaders frequently provide more unhelpful support. They actually talk about feeling less autonomous at work, which makes sense. If a supervisor is overstepping, 
They feel like they have lower relationship quality with their supervisor, and then they feel less competent. And what's really interesting is that we also asked employees about their leader's abusive leadership. So are they yelling at you? Are they scolding you? Are they telling you that you're stupid? Are they taking credit for your work? And what we found is that this unhelpful support actually had a stronger association with autonomy than abusive, mm. which makes so sense. So it's better to be abusive than unhelpful. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> is that, <is> right? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think with these outcomes in particular, that's what we're seeing in terms of the relationships. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting because if someone asked me, would you rather have an unhelpful supportive leader or an abusive leader? I'm certainly not going to pick the abusive leader. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, no. um, what but we're think, seeing... think about that for a second, though. Yeah. Yeah. An abusive person, you'd be like, this guy's an abusive jerk. Yes. Bam. But it's almost sort of like gaslighting. It's not quite gaslighting, but it's the thing of I have a relationship with this person. I know this person's intent or that person's intent. It's hard to read minds, right? But this person, and yet they keep helping me. I have, I don't get to write that person as a blanket jerk off. I have to say, well, wait a minute. Why are these helpful people all up in my stuff at work? Am I bad? Am I doing horrible? I mean, it's harder to draw an emotional barrier around your guts when somebody cares and they keep like making you feel incompetent, right? Yeah, I, I think I, I would prefer an abusive person <laughs> to being in a work environment where I, everybody's saying I messed up and loves me at the same time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you probably could separate the two psychologically a little bit easier, right? Uh, that's probably an empirical question, but like, you know, whether or not um, someone's being abusive to you, you know, that, that could be a clear thing where it's like, okay, I, I'm just not going to pay attention because that person is a jerk um, versus I'm getting all this unhelpful help and it's, it's really bringing me down. And I just want to point out, you, you mentioned how this can um, decrease feelings of autonomy. And, you know, autonomy is one of those things, you know, having a little bit of say over how you get things done really is something that people tend to value, right? And yes. can be, I mean, this is, this is not a new topic in the world of industrial and organizational psychology, for sure. Um, you know, we know that people tend to like to have some of that. And it's one of those key job characteristics that that can help make work more satisfying and make it a little bit more motivational too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely want to have freedom and control over the way I do things. And yeah. we find that that's really important to employees. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that control piece is important too from a stress standpoint, right? Because a lot of times when we feel stressed, it's because we, we sense a lack of control. And so if we don't have that, then it can exacerbate the, the stress we're feeling. So, and um, job security, right? If, if I'm incompetent, if I'm feeling incompetent in this job, I'm, I'm wondering how long before they fire me? I, I can't seem to do anything right. Yeah. It's a yucky feeling, guys. So yeah. let's talk about the, where you're going with some of these leadership interventions. Yeah, so this is what I'm most excited about, right? We know that this is a problem, but the big question is, what do we do about it? And that's what we're really trying to solve. So we're trying to develop these leadership training interventions that are going to mitigate the amount of unhelpful support people provide while increasing the amount of helpful support. 
And we're planning, we're currently in the process of planning an intervention with um, a recreation department at a university, which we're really excited about. And then hoping to transfer this into a hospital setting in the near future as well. That's I think awesome. this will be, be super beneficial because mandatory trainings at work, right? Here's a book on boxing. Now go get in the ring. But the thing with unhelpful help is these people actually want to help. Mm -hmm. And I think if ever there was a case where a training might move the ball forward, it's for a bunch of people that want to be helpful. And you, you show <laughs> just up doing mirror it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a mirror, buddy. Here's how not. Ben, we were talking this morning. Ben said, you know, you do this sometimes with guests. You should stop. And I'm like, how many times have I done that? And he's like, five times. And I'm like, <laughs> why did you let it go past one? I am Ben hurt feelings. And, and so this is a case, I think, where training could really help here because people mm -hmm. are wanting to be helpful. Here, here's some seven different lenses on how to look at it. And and now go be more helpful, not yeah. unhelpful. So I also want to kind of pile onto this um, just from a research method standpoint and also just the idea of, of having some evidence behind an intervention. So I guess, what do you mean for the lay people out there when we say an intervention? Yeah, so an intervention can be like a seminar, a workshop, but it's often... Um, there's more to it than that, right? right? It's not, it's typically not just a one-time, I mean, it can be a one-time intervention, a one-time workshop, but what the research shows is often that we need to have more than that, right? Otherwise you're not gonna retain the information. So with this intervention, what we're foreseeing is we might have an in-person workshop for a few hours, but then we're gonna follow up weekly with different activities where we're really doing some self-reflections, thinking about how we can apply this stuff at work, so that's what we're talking about with an intervention. Yeah, that's great. And what you're doing in your dissertation here is you are trying to figure out whether or not that intervention does anything, right? So out there in the, the, the training and development and leader development landscape, there are all kinds of quote unquote interventions, training sessions, seminars, and so forth that have no research backing to them right? That, that no one has rigorously analyzed like you're doing with, with this idea, right? Yeah. So sadly, that's true. Um, a lot of people will do some sort of intervention, but they don't go through the process of evaluating it to see if it really works. So some of the things that we're planning to do, we're going to evaluate the most basic thing. There's kind of different levels that you can measure. So the most basic thing that you want to measure with an intervention are reactions. So do the people who go through the training, did they like it? Did they find it useful? That's step one. But you got to get deeper than that. Yeah. So you want to know, did they actually learn anything? And you can measure this a number of ways. So we're going to do this in a couple of ways. One thing we're going to do is what we call like a pre-post measure. So we're going to get their knowledge on helpful and unhelpful support with a very short kind of fun test at the beginning, then do that after they've gone through the training session see if that improved. Another way that you can do this is to compare the group who's gone through the interventions knowledge with a group at the organization who hasn't to see, okay, well, do they know more than a group that hasn't gone through the training? Mm -hmm. And then the next level is, okay, maybe they've learned something, but do they actually apply it? Do we actually yeah. see behavior change at work? And that's always going to be the hardest um, piece it's really hard to get behavior change. And that's something we certainly want to measure and see if we're actually effectively doing that. 
So in this case, we're going to be asking not this, well, we'll get supervisors self-reports of do they, do they see that their behavior has changed from this? How do they report the level of support that they're giving um, after the training versus before? Are they seeing that they're giving more helpful and less unhelpful? We're also going to measure that from their employees. So yeah. get their perspective. Do you, what do you see as the level of helpful and unhelpful support that you're getting now? And we'll measure that before and after to see if that's changed. And then again, the other way of doing it is to get a comparison between a group that's gone through the training and a group that hasn't. Right. So are they showing more helpful behaviors and less unhelpful than a group that hasn't gone through the training? So what you just described for our listeners out there, those are some things, those kind of those are the the basics of doing this type of research um from a you know a a um a defensible standpoint from how we do social science, right? This is these are the types of things that should be done with other types of interventions out there to evaluate whether or not they do anything and needs to go beyond, as you mentioned, um, Cheryl, you know, it needs to go beyond just reactions. It's very easy to measure somebody's reactions to training, you know? So people out there who are, if you're in the learning and development space and maybe you get hit up by 50 vendors a day trying to sell you a training workshop, they may say, right, you know, these are what our participants say about our training. And they have all kinds of glowing things to say about the training. That's great. However, did they actually learn anything? And even beyond that, did they actually change the way they act in the workplace? And so, um, you know, I guess just hats off to you for for doing this. I think it'll be really interesting to see where this goes in terms of having some evidence-based approaches towards um, helping supervisors be better in how they provide help. Yeah, absolutely. And something that one of my colleagues always says is that if you want good reactions, just hold it on a beach. Right. <laughs> just send everyone in a vacation setting when you do the training and they're all going to like it. Right. They're all going to want to do it again. But, that's right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that people are actually learning, that they're changing their behaviors and that you're getting the end results that you want, whether that's less turnover, less burnout in your organization. No evidence yeah. for that. Well, and what's funny, too, is that, you know, as professors, we one of the primary um, gauges of our training or uh, training, right, our our uh, teaching is uh, student evaluations of it, right? So, you know, if you're un an untenured assistant professor out there, tell a lot of jokes and show some fun videos so that you get some good, <laughs> get some good Yeah, we don't care if the education's good. We just oh, care okay. if the students will keep writing the check, right? Right, yeah. So <laughs> that's a whole nother problem in and of itself. But point well taken. You got to go beyond just the reaction. So this is just a fascinating um, topic and conversation. I think as we promised our listeners, I think we should delve into some of the implications um, of your research and the literature out there that's starting to evolve on this topic with regard to unhelpful help and some implications for, you know, for people, for leaders and organizations. Um, and, you know, you, you have some great advice here. So let's start talking about that a little bit. Sure. So, um, we've kind of talked through different advice depending on the type of unhelpful support. So I'll just give an example, right? The type of unhelpful support that I tend to provide is that critical support, which often comes from giving students a sea of red ink. So if I'm giving students a sea of red ink, I think one of the biggest things you can do in that case is to keep the number of suggestions that you give to a digestible number. So instead of telling my research assistants, I really feel like you should look at A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z, et cetera. 
just keep it to maybe a few key things. And you can always do this in like a cyclical way where you start with a few, they address those, then they come back and you give them a few more. So it's not so overwhelming and doesn't feel as critical because they're not seeing all of the negativity at once, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so don't hit them with the fire hose of of negativity or or support or criticism right away. Exactly. So just give them a digestible number. Um, other things with critical are just to instead of really being critical and telling people what they're doing wrong, ask them for what you want from them. So ask them, give them a warm request. So I wish you would do this, or I would love for you to do this. Um, that's a much more positive framing. And this is something I worked for a company for a while and they were excellent at this. They had a ton of industrial organizational psychologists within the organization, other HR professionals. And one thing that they wanted me to do was to speak up more in meetings. And I thought that they did that in a really constructive way without being critical. So when we sat down to talk about it, they said, like, you have such great ideas and we would really love to hear more of those in meetings. That would be so wonderful. And that was just a very positive framing. So I didn't feel criticized. I felt, oh, here's something that I can work on. Here's an area of improvement. That's great. That's great. Um, so what are some tips maybe if someone's is, if their problem is giving partial support? Yeah. So if, if they run into a lot of cases where maybe people are saying this is unclear, um, people don't know where to go when they get that type of support, then just ask, right? So after you provide support, say, did that make sense? Did that answer your question? Yeah. So a pretty simple thing, but it actually can yield some some great conversation. And maybe you can iterate on that and make your, your support better. Exactly. Yeah. I think just asking, is there anything else you need? Can I clarify anything else? And I think all of this, you have to have um, a good quality relationship, right? You need that foundation where um, people feel comfortable asking you questions, asking you follow-up questions. So I think certainly you asking and just saying, does that make sense? Did that answer your question is going to be helpful, but your employee has to feel comfortable saying, you know, actually I could use more clarification. Yeah. You know, I think I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, part of this is, you know, someone who is providing unhelpful workplace social support usually or maybe doing so from a a place of of um you know trying to do the right thing good intentions and um i suppose if you really wanted to have better social support and be better at this um you would need to get some feedback from the people around you right you'd need for people to feel in the marrow of their bones that it's okay to say you know what boss like not helpful like I need, I need more of this. This isn't clear. Um, you know, I, I wish you would just train me out to do this instead of doing it yourself. Um, uh, but that requires like time and trust and good relationships and all those hard things. <laughs> you know, so, I was thinking about, you know, we're talking about training interventions and I mean, all of this stuff is leader member exchange, right? You know, that it's navigating that space. If you're not sensitive in creating this kind of environment and support, it becomes this behind the hand, behind the back handshake between everybody of, oh yeah, the boss says that we just do this. Um, I was at one Fortune 500 company with a training vendor, 
and people ask us like, hey, so what's today going to look like? Is it going to have a lot of fun activities? And you could just tell that they've been vendor trained overwhelmed, right? It had just been done so many times, so many times. You can't fake this stuff, guys. You actually, if you really are in the, so you're abusive, first of all, if you're not wanting to help your employees, right? Second of all, if you do want to help your employees, you got to plug in and really try to develop a relationship because that's like the honey that helps all this st medicine go down, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Um, let, let's think about this, you know, the uh, when you have the uncomforting support, right? Um, you know, and kind of the example that you had uh, at the beginning, um, how could people do this better? Like you notice that somebody somebody divulges to you that, you know, things are not going well, um, you know, I'm behind on my project or maybe even something a whole lot worse, something really bad happened in their life or something. Um, how do you handle that as a supervisor in a way that that's better? Right. So for this one, we actually draw from clinical psychology. So they have this process for this where it starts with, they call it mirror validating and empathizing. So mirroring is you just repeat back to express that you heard them, you understand the situation. So in the case we started with where I was feeling discouraged and down about being behind on my dissertation, maybe the response could be, wow, so what I'm hearing is you're feeling really discouraged because you're behind on your dissertation. So they're just starting by mirroring it. So that shows, look, I get you. Then you validate the feelings attached to that. So you say, I could totally understand why you might be feeling discouraged or down about that. And then you empathize. So this is saying, I imagine maybe you're also feeling stuck if you don't know how to move forward. And that just shows you're really understanding them and you're encouraging them to um, talk more about it and draw them out so that they can kind of vent and get out their feelings in a productive way. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, you know, so we can we can certainly learn from our clinical colleagues and, and do some more mirroring, validating, and empathizing with people. But that um, was such a good example of practical advice. It was that that most most managers don't get that. You know, no. there's no playbook for, well, you know, somebody on my team's spouse died or something. You know, what should I do? And, and it. Yeah. So, and these are the types of things that you have for these interventions that you'll be doing, right? In your trainings and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll be doing a lot of role play activities, things like you're saying, maybe we role play that someone's spouse died. What do you say to them? So exactly. Yeah. Awesome. What other key types of uh, implications do you see here? Some other tips maybe for for leaders out there, for supervisors, or for coworkers, because I know a lot of your research earlier on was on uh, coworkers. Yeah, so I think a lot of it is just, it sounds basic, but there are things that we don't often do. So ask before providing support. So before you provide help, say, would you like help with this? <laughs> and then seek as much input as possible. So how can I help? Keeping the person you're helping engaged in that exchange. Um, yeah, things like confirming that you understand the problem. So we'll call that mirroring. So to make sure we're on the same page, the issue is whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, you mentioned that a lot of these things seem obvious, but we don't do them. And, you know, I, I think it's it's really good to emphasize to our listeners and to people who may be, you know, at some point going through your validated training on this, 
Um, you know, just because something is common sense, perhaps, doesn't make it common. You know, um, there's there are many things with regards to human relationships and supervisory supervising other people that may seem obvious, um, especially when you're removed from the situation or looking back on something. Um, but we, but if they were common sense, they they would be much more common. And a lot of this just isn't common. Um, these good communication um, tactics that can be very helpful for folks and avoiding the unhelpful type of help. Yeah, what stands out to me is, I mean, I've been studying this for a while and I still find myself doing tons of these things, right? So it might be common sense that I shouldn't be giving someone a sea of red ink when I'm giving them feedback, but I still want to do it. Yeah, you of all people, Cheryl, you should know, (laughs) but at the same time, it's still part of you, right? Yeah, it's hard to break these habits. Takes one to know one. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's great. Um, You know, I think it's also potential, uh, a potential implication here, maybe for organizations is, is to think about how they might include um, this topic perhaps in leader development programs, because I, I have not, I've, you know, I've been around a lot of leader development programs and I've been a participant in them. I've helped design them and all that kind of stuff. And, and I haven't seen this topic really, I don't think at all across different pieces. You know, there's a lot about, Hey, you need to be a supportive supervisor. You need to be develop these good relationships um, but I think there's probably an opportunity here for organizations to to include this as something um, that they educate their supervisors about. Yeah, there really is. And in doing research on interventions, what I've seen in the literature, at least most of the published interventions, they're trying to increase the amount of social support in the organization. So I've seen for teachers or for nurses, they might have support groups where you come together after work and you talk about issues that you're going through and you have this support group setting. Those don't tend to work very well Hmm. in terms of improving outcomes. So what we're hypothesizing is that we don't need to focus on increasing the amount of support at work. We need to focus on increasing the quality, at least for a lot of people. Yeah. Congratulations. You just increased the amount of unhelpful help and literally giving your whole organization (laughs) a headache. (laughs) 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 Wonderful. So... This has been a fascinating conversation about unhelpful help, what it is, why it matters, some examples, the categories, and what we can do about it. Um, Cheryl, I'll I'll let you have the last word here. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? I guess I just want to share that, well, first, thank you so much for having me and giving me the platform to do this. I think this is going to be a really beneficial topic that I hope becomes more prevalent in industry, because I do think that, like you all are saying, When it comes to moving the needle on behaviors, I think you're going to have a lot more luck when you're dealing with well-intended people um, than if you're dealing with jerks, right? Wonderful. Well, Cheryl Gray, it has been our honor and pleasure having you on the Indigo Podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.